2: Welcome to Rock Strikes 10, the show guaranteed to always give you 10 songs, no more, no less. My name is Joey. I want to thank everybody for tuning into the show here today, especially if you're doing it at the central station of CNJRadio.com. Okay, it is now time for what I consider to be the first true episode of this year of 2023. And we're going to get back to basics here on the show, which is a good thing. And not that I haven't enjoyed doing these countdowns and bringing them to you, but it definitely was the absolute crux of the show in 2022. So, and not that I'm not going to do these countdowns throughout the year because I will, but just wanted to get back to what I used to do on the show. And next episode especially, I'll be doing a very thematic type show, an old school type Rock Strikes 10 show, if you will. But as we ease into that, definitely needed to do this episode. This was a must, an an essential stop the presses kind of episode, a necessary evil, if you will. But a lot of our icons, rock stars, what have you, a lot of them are leaving us and we had a big huge one at the top of the year so let's let's address this and yes i do need to catch up with a lot of fallen episodes and i will do that throughout the year i promise but we got to stop down and do this one for sure before i get even more behind cuz this guy super important i think you already know who i'm talking about we're going to pay tribute to jeff beck here on this episode especially if you can read a show description we're paying tribute to the almighty iconic legendary influential Jeff Beck. You can use all those descriptions and you would not be exaggerating because as long as I've been a music fan I have heard that name. Early on it was one of those names where I felt like it was being insisted upon me and so, like a lot of kids or teenagers or whatever, when things are insisted upon you, you tend to rebel against it, and that was kind of how I was feeling about it. I would just hear that name, and it seemed like every interview, and I didn't take to it in the positive way for some reason, not that I just trashed the guy, because that, that's reserved for Clapton, but Jeff Beckman, this name popped up, and like every time I read an interview with a guitar guy, it seemed like they were always mentioning Jeff, so... And I still kind of resisted, like, ah, you know, that's the stuff my old man would listen to or whatever. But man, as I went on through my musical journey here, I realized, and eventually the light switch came on and I understood what Jeff Beck's influence was, why it was important, why he was great, why he was truly great. It's not just to be automatically great because you came along at a time where there wasn't as much stuff. And I tend to have a critical eye towards some of those things. But Jeff Beck... Not overrated, I gotta say. I'm here to report, just in case you didn't know. So this episode, basically, I'm not just going to do just like that one disc best of. I'm going to go through the personal journey, as I like to do, because I want to make this my own show, as I tend to like to do and give you some stories like how much even though I am not a big huge fanboy of Jeff Beck and I kind of just established that for you even during my awakening I never went truly all in with the guy and there's still so much stuff I need to listen to but basically we're just gonna pick up stuff that I heard along the way and it really affected me in a sense so it's gonna be chronological but for my personal history basically so as I was talking about the influence that he had on a lot of my favorite rock stars of all time i felt like it was only apropos that we kick off with a couple by the yardbirds because obviously that's an important part of his history if he hadn't done what he did with the yardbirds back in the late 60s then a lot of my favorite stuff would have never happened so let's give it up for the freaking yardbirds i don't care whether you're alice cooper aerosmith kiss or even people like rush and ZZ Top. And it goes way deeper than that even. So many layers to peel back on the influence that the Yardbirds had on just music in general. And I tend to be pretty down on, you know, the Pale Faces or White Boy Blues or whatever you want to call it. But when the Yardbirds did it, man, they made it legit. It was legit in their hands. And that's, it takes a next level talent to do that kind of stuff where I'm just not like, ugh, the Yardbirds have that thing. And I'm glad they did, because like I said, they influenced some of my favorite acts ever. Proof positive that even though they didn't write this song, it became an absolute standard bearer in hard rock, basically. In the 70s-based hard rock, my favorite type of music. This was originally a song in the 50s, I believe. I know the guy's name was Tiny Bradshaw, the guy that wrote and originally performed this tune right here. You're going to know this song. Everybody does this song, and you got it. But let's go back to the Yardbirds version. This is the one that turned everybody on. And, of course, it's one of the first Yardbirds recordings to feature Mr. Jeff Beck here on Lee Guitar. So here we go. Let's get into it. This is the Yardbirds with The Train Kept a Rollin'. Yeah. insanely iconic Yardbirds twofer right there, kicking off the show. Of course, we started with The Train Kept It rolling, and then we got into a song called The Naz Are Blue, which the reason I played that, it's kind of the only cheat I have as far as making this a personal playlist. I'd heard that song a handful of times over the years, and I got a few Yardbirds collections on record and CD and stuff like that. So I knew this song, but what I didn't realize is that I believe it's one of the only recordings of the Yardbirds with Jeff Beck on lead vocals. So I figured I would play it to give you an idea of what his singing voice was. Yeah, obviously not the best singer in the world, which is why he pretty much kept his mouth shut while he played. But I thought it was a cool little thing to put on there. So, And you can really hear his talking voice and his singing voice. He didn't really sound that much different. So two random things that popped up as I was listening to that. I definitely wanted to go through a few extra little Joey anecdotes here. The first handful of things that hit me to Jeff Beck as far as just how far his influence reaches is uh, right around 91 or so. Two things happened that uh, one I didn't even realize was a Jeff Beck thing and the other thing was like super obvious. And then we'll get into the next batch of songs here was... I was so huge on Motley Crue from like really my earliest days as a music fan. And it really didn't wane from all the way throughout the 80s, all the way up to the early 90s and most of the 90s, to be quite honest with you. But I was having a huge extra point run of fandom in the early 90s when like Decade of Decadence came out. So I like I got everything, the shirt, the tape, the everything, all the merch I could get, posters and what have you. And my favorite thing of that whole era was the Decade of Decadence home video. And I knew Mick Mars was a Jeff Beck fan because, once again, he talked about him in a lot of interviews. But to see a guy like Mick Mars, and I'm sure a lot of you out there understand what kind of character Mick Mars is. Very curmudgeonly type, permanent old man kind of thing. He's very jaded. He's very dry in a sense sometimes. But man, the guy can play. He's one of those guys who is in his genre of melodic, hard rock, heavy metal, if you will, and stands out as an exceptional player. And he's given a lot of that credit to being a Jeff Beck guy. And so during the course of the Decade of Decadence home video, there's some scenes where they're filming out in London, England, because they're playing Monsters of Rock with ACDC and Metallica and stuff like that. And before they do that show, they do a warm-up show at the Marquee Club. And, you know, that's a crazy show. But what I did see during the course of that footage was there's, like, this Hall of Fame wall that everybody that's playing at the Marquee, like, signs it. And it almost looks like a bathroom stall area. Like, it's really dimly lit, so I'm watching this. And McMars Mars is struggling to find a space on the wall to sign And all of a sudden, you can hear this guy with a British accent going, oh, there's a space right there next to Jeff Beck. And then, like a child, Mick Mars just lights up and goes, where? Where? (laughs) And he, like, leans down, and he gives one of the prettiest signatures he's probably ever signed and puts it right there next to Jeff Beck. And he is so happy now that he is now immortalized on a wall next to his favorite guitar player of all time. So does that signing and then he just puts the pin back up and he smiles and like, yeah, at the camera. And he goes, we like Beck. We love Beck, actually. So just to see the kind of response that Mick got out of that moment, like kind of told me a lot, honestly. And at that same time, I was getting into like spinal tap and stuff like that. I had no idea that Nigel Tufnell's character was massively based off of Jeff Beck. And then when you watch interviews with Jeff Beck, you totally see it. It's a dialed up version of Jeff, clearly. But, you know, a great way to pay tribute to the guy. And I'm sure he thought it was funny. At least I hope he did. (laughs) And the last piece of really kicking off like, oh, this guy is good, was actually for the longest time I was corresponding with my first ever best friend, Sean George, who I mentioned in past episodes, like during the Prince episode especially. Uh, He was the guy that really turned me on to my favorite bands of all time initially, and he was like a big brother to me. And uh, for a while, when I had moved away and you know my parents got divorced and everything i don't know if my mom reached out to him or whatever but he was writing me and we would send each other tapes in the mail i would do the same thing i'd make him some mixes and i made him some full albums and i would send them off to him and that's when tape trading was still a lot of fun and it was a thing so one of the mix tapes he sent me was like a very guitar centric type thing because i guess i talked about how i was learning to play the guitar like really taking it seriously so you know it's got some of the obvious people on there and just some like favorites of his like favorite guitar-driven songs that he really liked, and it's a really cool tape. I need to dig it up. I know I still have it 100%. And on that tape, he played this song right here, which is going to kick off this twofer right here. And it's actually, this is the only instance where I'm pulling off of the same record because this is a massively must-own type of record. Jeff Beck Group. The album is called Truth and features this young whippersnapper on lead vocals, one of his first big things that he ever did if not the first and this is actually a song that he co-wrote with jeff beck and you're going to hear rod stewart in his practically his rookie year singing and wailing here on this tune right here this is the song that was on the mixtape that sean made for me so this was a big moment for me and jeff beck fandom so here you go kicking off this twofer, a truth two with rock my Plimsoul. <laughs> there you have it. Great, great for right there from the album Truth, which is absolutely a must own for any genre of music. If you are a music fan, you should have that record. The early Rod Stewart right there, just killing it. You got Jeff Beck on guitar. What a can't miss duo right there. And that set was kicked off by Rock My Plimsoul from the original Sean George guitar mixtape. <laughs> and Finishing off the closer on that record, a cover of Willie Dixon's I Ain't Superstitious, which first time I ever heard that song was definitely the Megadeth version. And I saw a recent statement by, I'm not sure which Dave said it, either is or was with Megadeth currently, and said when they recorded that version, they based it off of the Jeff Beck group version, which makes total sense there you have it. The influence reaches all the way into thrash metal. If you didn't know, now you know. Jeff's influence is definitely uh, pretty much infinite now at this point. So a lot of these songs are very blues-based, kind of ballady almost in a sense, and the majority of this episode will kind of lean towards that. And also, I don't mean to make this a downer show. When we do these fallen tributes and these death episodes, I try to make it as lighthearted as possible, taking it seriously, but also having a little fun with it. So this next twofer right here is going to be live versions of really upbeat songs and Jeff also would do that as well. He basically became as a solo artist a guy who definitely did originals but also did a lot of cover songs, but he had that great talent into making it, you know, his own arrangement. Singing the songs with his guitar because sometimes he wouldn't be accompanied by singers. So, in the most basic of terms, the lead vocalist of the band was Jeff's guitar, the way he played it. But in this twofer right here, this is where he's accompanied by two different lead singers. And so, I actually did cut off some songs from another personal favorite Jeff Beck album. One I got into a few years ago was the BBA album, which was. Beck Bogert, piece which is a one-off band that he did, like a power trio with the guys in Vanilla Fudge, Tim Bogert and Carmine piece And really, really cool record. I do recommend it. And I did cut off those songs off of this record because I got the 1973 episodes coming up and that album will definitely be represented on the countdown. So yeah, spoiler, but yeah, it's going to be on there for sure in some form or fashion. But on that record they do a cover of Superstition, which had only been out for a couple of years at that point. So I'm sure people were maybe a little blown away by that. Like, wow, I'm already hearing cover versions. And that was a thing, especially in R&B. You'd hear a song, it would be a hit, and then like a year or two later, somebody would try to have their own hit with it. But the BBA version of Superstition is really cool. Of course, nothing beats the original. Can't beat Stevie Wonder. You could travel many galaxies over and still not beat Stevie, if ever. But... As luck would have it, this is one of those kind of one-off Rock and Roll Hall of Fame type of live performances. They're having a big night there. Some duets are occurring and Stevie Wonder's out there. He's doing a little mini set and he brings out Jeff Beck and they do Superstition. So that's what we're going to kick off this twofer with is that great, great performance. So check this one out. Enjoy. Definitely wasn't going to leave off that one because what an amazing performance right there. So let me tell you a couple things about that track. And we kicked off the twofer, by the way, with Superstition, which followed I Ain't Superstitious, which I didn't do that on purpose, but I just kind of noticed it as it was laid out. We went I Ain't Superstitious into Superstition, of course, with Stevie Wonder and his band. What a great performance that was. And immediately followed by a super duper faithful absolutely 1000% faithful cover version of Les Paul and Mary Ford's How High the Moon. So that was taken from a performance at the Iridium Jazz Club in New York City. And I had recently seen this show a few years ago. And as of Jeff's passing just a few weeks ago, it's been played almost nonstop on this particular channel on Pluto TV. It's like one of the music concert channels. And rightfully so. It's such an amazing performance. You should track it down. It's called Rock and Roll Party featuring Jeff Beck. And it's a tribute that Jeff did to Les Paul. Because the, re- the other reason probably why Jeff Beck was so amazing is because he gave himself two massive guitar heroes that he couldn't possibly live up to in his eyes. One was Cliff Gallup of the Gene Vincent Band, who had his own way of playing that no one could ever copy. <laughs> and the other was Les Paul. No high standards for that guy, right? Okay, so the show here, Rock and Roll Party, it's at the Iridium in New York. And I'm watching this concert over and over again, the last few weeks especially. And once again, track it down. It's such a fun show. If you ever get jaded about music or being a rock fan or anything, that's the show you want to put on. It's so pure. And you just look, they, every now and then they flash to the crowd. And you see people in the crowd, like I saw Bob Ezrin in the crowd. I saw Paul Schaefer in the crowd. I swear David Bowie was in that crowd. I swear I saw David. And David was living in New York City at the time. This was recorded around the beginning of the 2010s. So he lived in New York City for like 20 years until the day he died. But I swear he's in that crowd. But it's, man, that just gives you an idea of how great the show is. So this particular version, actually, of How High the Moon. Like I said, the original was done by Les Paul and his wife Mary Ford. So it's duly noted in the liner notes of the record that that, that was Melda May, by the way, on lead vocals. Really cool singer from Europe. Uh, she's a great singer, obviously. You can tell right there by that performance. So when it came time to do this performance, they actually had Amelda record her vocal in advance so they could lay it in over the PA and play it like an instrument. Not to sweeten it, but because they wanted to replicate the sound that Mary Ford used to have on the records because Mary would double and triple track her vocals to make it sound just extra cool almost like uh, like she was singing with backup singers those were all her voices much like what Brian Wilson used to do in the Beach Boys and so they actually say that we sweeten the vocals but that's also her singing on top of herself for that performance because that's exactly how the original was recorded they wanted to maintain the integrity of that performance that's how much of a nerd Jeff Beck was for Les Paul so I love that and, and the rest of the album Melda does not double track herself on a pre-recorded track. They just do for that song. So I thought that was really neat because we're in this time right now where sweetened vocals are becoming a big point of contention in live performances. But that's one instance that I could bring to the table where it's actually on the level, for sure, like legitimately. Okay, but yeah, the other reason I played that is because the one and only time I got to see Jeff Beck live was when myself and my better half, Nola, we traveled out to Houston, Texas to see a co-headline show with Brian Wilson and Jeff Beck, speaking of the Beach Boys. And I know Jeff being a big Brian Wilson guy, of course. Who is it, right? Okay, I'm sure some of you out there aren't, but shame on you. So we go out there, and we're kind of in the mindset of just wanting to see Brian. I knew, I was like, cool, I can see Jeff Beck. That'll be one of those things that I can brag about later on. And I'm still not... Completely knowledgeable about the catalog or anything that might potentially be played that night. Like at that point, I only have Truth and Beckola. And this, like I said, this is about the time he did Rock and Roll Party. So this is like around the turn of the 2010s. So we're talking about 12 years ago here. So we get out to the show and we have no idea how the show is really gonna go. And the show starts and Brian Wilson comes out and does his set. So we're like, oh okay, let's go ahead and line Jeff's gonna play last, which I know it's going to be probably a bit of a hurdle, even for both of us, because the Brian Wilson material, it's kind of tough to follow for anybody. But Brian does his set, and then eh, it's about an hour, and since it's a co-ed line, it it kind of makes sense. Then Jeff comes out and starts playing. He does a lot of instrumental stuff, a lot of stuff I don't recognize, but I'm appreciating the playing, as we all are. It's keeping my interest enough. And I do need to speak on something that happened in his set later, but after he was done playing in his main set basically brian wilson's band come out and all the bands do a little mini set together where they're doing like cover tunes and some more brian wilson beach Boys songs so it ends up in a really cool jam it's a real fun night overall It's really a great show and yes i can brag about going to the show so during the jam portion of the show they do how high the moon with brian wilson's band and all his backup singers and everything and they sound tremendous doing that song so i got to see him play that song and it was breathtaking it was so damn good so that's definitely in my personal journey of jeff beck fandom right there is to hear how high the moon so there's that so let's rewind back to the end of jeff's main set during that show and he's playing the song that i'm about to play for you right here And I think it's the last proper song he did by himself with his solo band. And it goes into this one right here, which even without words, it says so much. This is one of the best instrumental performances I ever heard in my life. As luck would have it, I was able to track down a well properly recorded live version of this. So here is Jeff Beck doing his interpretation of the Beatles classic, A Day in the Life. (laughs) Chilling stuff right there. Jeff Beck doing Day in the Life, the Beatles song, of course, from his Live Plus album. So continuing on with the story of going to see Jeff Beck live. So we're at the end of this set. It's doing Day in the Life. So picture this, if you will. We're in the crowd. We're in Houston, Texas. Keep that in mind. And we just got through like the middle solo section, and we're about to get into him playing The last verse of the song proper before the big breakdown and all goes crazy and everything. As he's playing the last verse of the song, just waltzing right out on stage is the Reverend Billy Gibbons of ZZ Top. And if you know anything about Billy, you know his reputation precedes him. He's one of the greatest living guitar players in the world. This is a guy who you often hear that factoid that Jimi Hendrix singled him out as the greatest player on the planet while he was alive. So, Billy, obviously very heralded man, if you will. Billy waltzes out on that stage, and I could tell by the look in Jeff Beck's face that he did not know that he was going to do that, nor it seems like he couldn't tell that he was even there. So... It's like Billy just got in light and then was like, I'm going to do this thing here. And I obviously cleared it with all of his people. It's like, yeah, he's going to love that. So Billy walks right out on stage. And Jeff, the true professional and player that he is, does not screw up, does not drop any notes. He's still just playing, but he's also got that wow face. Like, what are you doing here? Billy Gibbons walks just towards him, gets in his vicinity and does almost kind of getting on one knee and does a bow like a we're not worthy i'm not worthy kind of thing and everybody was like whoa <laughs> and it was just a, a moment like obviously this is not going on in any other town on any other date of this tour it's going to happen here in houston texas where billy is based and so he does that and people are like whoa yeah and Just and you feel that moment you get a chill like what an endorsement uh, one of the greatest living guitar players and he's like no this is the guy right here and that's what we all got out of it for sure and it didn't matter if you knew anything about Jeff Beck that night you knew everything by the end of that performance and right after they finished playing that song Jeff like lines off stage you know throws his guitar to a roadie or whatever and obviously he was going on the hunt for Billy as you could probably tell just by the way he he went down the same corridor that Billy left in. And after about a minute or so, they're kind of just moving stuff around on stage because now it looks like, oh yeah, Brian's band is going to come out and it looks like maybe they'll do some stuff together. And as everybody's getting set up on stage, Jeff kind of just walks back on stage and he had this weird, I've just seen a ghost kind of dejected look on his face from what I could tell. And maybe I'm making some of this up in my mind, but this is how I perceived it. So he just had that look like, I I don't know where he is. Like, if I had it in my head, he was probably like, hey, come up on stage and let's do some tunes and like, just poof. He just disappeared. He he waved his finger and he disappeared, just like in the video. That's the kind of perception we have of Billy. So I'm assuming that's what happened. (laughs) He went to go look for the guy and he's like, no, this is your show, man. And he just peaced out. So there you go. There's my once-in-a-lifetime story right there that I will brag about, but I'm glad it happened, for sure. And I'm assuming if Jeff had had his way that night, and we would have had Billy come out to do at least one song with him, I'm assuming it would have been this one. great that we have a handful of professionally recorded collaborations with Jeff and Billy on stage, and there's two instances where they do Rough Boy, one that I know of for sure on the Easy Top Grace that's around the world, and I played that on the show before years ago, but that was from Jeff Beck's 50th anniversary concert at the Hollywood Bowl, which is professionally recorded. It's out there. I believe there's a DVD for it as well. I saw the clip of them playing this on YouTube as well. Go check that one out at least, and if you couldn't tell who's doing which solo, you're going to have to watch the video, but maybe if you recognize tone, you can tell, but just watching them watching each other, and they're just nailing it, and that's one of my favorite songs anyway, so just to hear that, and I was thinking, man, we could have had that that night, but just wasn't in the cards, but I'm glad it happened in other places, so there you have it. Jeff Beck, the Jeff Beck group doing Rough Boy with special guest Billy F. Gibbons on stage right there. Hope you enjoyed that. I sure as hell did. Let's keep going with the dialogue from the Brian Wilson Jeff Beck show. So I talked about how they went and did a mini set together and they did How High the Moon and a handful of other songs. It was a lot of fun and Jeff, you could tell was really having fun during this set, just playing some old Beach Boys songs. But there's a kind of a fan favorite Beach Boys song, which I've played on the show before a couple of times, and a great version of this, of course. Pretty much every cover he ever did, he just nailed it. And I didn't play anything from this album here on this episode as well, but on Jeff's last album, which happens to be his collaborative album with Johnny Depp, the album called 18, he does three Beach Boys-related songs on that record. So he does a Dennis Wilson cover and two Beach Boys songs. Crazy. But... I obviously enjoyed those, and I enjoyed that record for the most part. I'll play something from that album on a future episode. But getting back to that show, they did this particular song, and at the time, I was very put off by the fact that Brian was on stage basically conducting or being a mascot for his music, as he does quite a bit of the time, to be honest and just let the rest of the band take over and instead of singing the song jeff's going to sing this one with his guitar so while i was initially put off by it as it kicked in quite a bit i was like oh wow this is this is amazing this is a moment that i need to preserve in my head so it's definitely one of the great concert moments i have in my brain of all time i'm always going to cherish this moment right here so as luck would have it there is a really nice professionally recorded version of Jeff Beck doing this song with Brian Wilson's band. This takes place at a Brian Wilson tribute show. So here, yet again, another live version, but you got to do it live, right? Or else you can't play. So here is Jeff Beck with Brian Wilson's band doing "Surf Up. Surf's up right there. Live version. Jeff Beck with the Brian Wilson Band. One of my favorite songs ever. And just to hear Jeff do it, it's a a thrill. So, yeah. Hope you like that one. Let me know what you think of that one. And we're going to close off with really the first Jeff Beck song I think I ever heard. Once again, a cover, not an original. But what he did with this, purely amazing. And at the time, I'm like... I think six years old when this song comes out. The song came out in 1985 and I remember seeing the video for this on MTV and some other video shows and I didn't know anything about Jeff Beck. So it was almost kind of like, well, who's this dude with this guy that I do know. (laughs) It's like, what is this thing? So one thing I did take away from it is that I never forgot the song. It was years before I would hear this version again. And then when I was really getting into Curtis Mayfield later on, and I found out, oh, this is the original version of that song I heard back in the 80s. So back when Curtis Mayfield was in the Impressions before he went solo, one of their biggest hits was a song called People Get Ready. And this song is so good that it's super religious and everything, but I I don't care. At the end of the day, I don't care which normally I would. I would give a shit about that and I'd be like, ah, screw this song. But the song is so good. It's so well written. Curtis Mayfield was a genius, but I love the song regardless of the the message. But it's such a beautiful song. And legit, the first time I heard a lot of these old songs, but first time I heard this song in particular was this version right here. So how was I not going to include this in my Jeff Beck tribute? What I really dig in the light of Jeff's passing here is the fact that other people have really been giving it up for this version. And I'm so glad because people could nitpick this version like, oh, the 80s production and everything, but it's got it where it counts in the soul and the playing. Uh, It's a great cover for that reason. Not just because it's Jeff Beck and not because he's passed on, because this song really resonates and captures the emotion of the original while making it a true cover and making it their own interpretation. And I'm sure the thrill of a lot of people who were fans of those original Jeff Beck group albums, hearing him play with Rod Stewart again was, I'm sure, a thrill. And now I recognize just how big of a moment this is. But for something I probably wasn't supposed to care about when I was six years old, I never forgot this song. So that should tell you a lot. This one stays in the brain permanently. So to close off this particular episode and this tribute to Jeff Beck, here is Rod Stewart with Jeff Beck from the Flash album doing People Get Ready. Closing off this show today and closing off our tribute to a hero of music, our hero's hero, Mr. Jeff Beck. Rest in peace. That was People Get Ready with him and Rod Stewart from the Flash album. I've got the 45 of that. I'm guilty of not having the full record, but at some point, if I see it out and about, I will pick it up. Unfortunately, I'm sure the prices are going up, but that's the nature of the beast, right? The nature of the business, but let's not get too cynical at the end here. I hope you've enjoyed this tribute here to Jeff Beck. Let me know what's new to you off of this. If you care to let me know, if you know someone who's a fan, share it with them. I'd like to know what they think of this for a guy who's not a big fan yet somehow is a fan in a weird way, but you know what I'm trying to say. That's going to do it here. I got a really fun thematic episode next week, getting back to basics once again. So hope you enjoyed this episode and I hope you continue to listen till then. Stay tuned for a Better Half NOLA with the plugs and followed by the best damn outro song in all the podcasting business. Take it away, NOLA.
0: We would like to thank you for taking the time to listen to the show today. You can reach us on Facebook or Twitter. We love getting messages and always do our best to respond. Every time you share our show, we give our cats Ruby and Ripley a treat. We are on Twitter at rockstrikes10 and the direct email is rockstrikes10 at gmail.com. where cinema's trash is treated like treasure, and the I Am Vinyl podcast with Pete LaRussa and occasionally Joey. We also highly recommend that you check out our good friend Mark Striegel, who can now be heard exclusively on SiriusXM as part of Ozzy's Boneyard and Hair Nation. Last, but certainly not least, we would like to give an extra special thanks to the great Pete LaRussa and the band Spacebeard for the best outro song in the business, Go to facebook.com slash spacebeardband to purchase their music and make sure to tell them that Rock Strikes 10 sent ya. We hope you tune into the next show. Until then, have fun.